All right, friends, page 21. And it says, we often act as though God tells us what he wants us to do and then sends us off by ourselves to try and do it. Um, thank God this is not how he deals with us. We can even look to uh, the way that he deals with the disciples when he sends them out. Um, and what you'll remember there is that he does not send out his disciples one by one. He sends them out two by two. So Jesus does not just, he, he doesn't call us out as disciples, invite us into something and say, okay, now go figure it out and give me a call if you need me. Um, he's, he's the type of boss who uh, is like with you while he's training you. It's not like a, like get out of my face and don't bother me kind of boss. He's the kind of boss who's like, yeah, I, I actually like, I stand in the kitchen with you and like I flip the burgers with you and I show you how to do that. Before working here at, the, at, at Influence, I worked for um, the Placentia Blinda School District for several years, and I worked in technology. Now, when I got the job, I got it because my brother was working there, and they were hiring interns, and so uh, he was like, hey, my brother needs a job, and it was paying more than my host job at a restaurant, and so I took it. And um, I knew nothing about computers. And so day one, they're like, hey, Nathan, can you go plug in that computer? We need to image it. And I'm like, what does image mean? Yeah, I got it. And so I lay down on the ground. I've never done this before in my life. I don't even think I've looked at the back of a computer before. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, God help me. How do I do this? And I'm like looking at all these pieces. And I'm like, okay, purple probably goes with purple and green goes with green. Rectangle with rectangle. All right, I got my shapes down. Um, That's how I learned how to plug in computers on day one was like literally looking at colors and shapes and trying to figure it out and it worked. I had a lot of questions, needless to say, doing that job. I was not equipped when I got hired, Um, but my coworkers, my brother being one of them, my coworkers were so gracious with me to where I would be asking them the same questions over and over and over and over again. And this one guy in particular, his name was David, and I remember him being so incredibly patient, even though I probably asked him the same question six or seven times um, about how to do something. And each time he just was really, really patient and would remind me gently. And I think that that's so much of, of how God is with us as well, as he gently calls us into things, and then he gently walks with us through them. Um, and he doesn't just give us the boot and say, go figure it out. He is uh, readily available and happy to do that with us. So part of our obedience, part of us saying yes to him, um, is he's, he's not calling us into something and then abandoning us. He's calling us into something to, to come and do it with him. Go ahead and flip over to page 23. This is reality number one there at the top. God was already at work around Moses. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of the slavery went up to God. God heard their groanings, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. When God goes to Moses and calls him, he's already aware of the need. He's already been listening. He's already been acting, and now he's getting ready to carry out the deliverance for his people in alignment with his covenant with their forefathers. Reality two, God pursued a continuing love relationship with Moses that was real and personal. So the, the scripture reference here uh, from Exodus 24, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I will give you tablets of stone with the law of the commands I have written for their instruction. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. 
Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. What an incredible, intimate experience for Moses to have had with God. Um, we don't, you know, it says that he comes down and that his face is, is shining. Um, th- he, he's dwelling in God's presence, and he's interacting very intimately with him to such a degree that people were afraid of the way that his face looked, so he had to cover it with a veil. Um, so there's, a, there's just this love relationship that God cultivates with Moses. Reality three, God invited Moses to become involved with him in his works. I've come down to rescue them, being the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of the land, out of that land into a good and spacious land. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Um, and so again, he's, he's saying, this is what I'm doing. Now I want you to go and do this with me. I'm jumping down to the uh, middle of that last full paragraph. When God was about to deliver the children of Israel, the important factor was not God's will for Moses. The critical truth was God's will for Israel. God will call us to do things not for ourselves per se, but for the sake of others. Um, again, with our individualistic society, our culture that we live in, it's it's easy for us to think, well, what about me? What's in it for me? Um, but we're, the, 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 the viewpoint from which the Bible is written is a collectivistic society where God is concerned with the whole, um, I would say. And we do see that here with Moses. His call um, is to be faithful and obedient to deliver the whole, to deliver the people of Israel. Jump on over to day five here on page 24. This is a continuation of, the, of day four study. So reality number four is that God spoke to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. I'm just going to read the first scripture here from Exodus 3. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, said God. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The Lord said, I have indeed... Um, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard of them crying out because of their slave drivers and am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. He tells Moses what he's doing. He tells him why he's calling him and he tells him what he wants to do and what he's going to do. I'm, I, I'm, I'm calling you because I want to deliver my people out of this land of oppression and lead them into a promised land. So there's this idea that God tells us what he's up to ahead of time. When God sends the prophets to the nation of Israel and and then also Judah, but tells them to repent over and over again and they don't do it, he also says, look, if you don't repent, there's going to be judgment. That's what God even sends Jonah to Nineveh to do is, hey, repent or you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. And so God tells us through the word, through prophets, he tells us what he's up to. He speaks to us and he tells us what he's up to as well um, in terms of our own heart. And then he invites us to partner with him in that activity. Reality five, God's invitation from Moses was to work with him, um, w- to work with him led into a crisis of belief that required faith and action. So basically this is where Moses is like, God, why me? I'm not good enough. Uh, I, I can't speak well. Send somebody else. Um, and and there's, this, there's this crisis that Moses experiences of feeling inadequate, um, of being like, I, I'm not skilled, I'm not gifted, and 
uh, and why would you send me and not somebody else? And you're, now you're sending me back to the very place that I, I ran away from 40 years ago. I'm a murderer and I'm a known murderer there. And what if people remember that I'm a murderer? Might they put me on trial and put me to death again? My, even my own people rejected me while I was still there. And so why would you send me of all people back, God? And so there's this crisis where um, Moses then has to choose whether or not he's going to say yes to God. Reality six, Moses had to make major adjustments in his life to join in what God was doing. And so Exodus four, the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So he consoles Moses in that. So Moses took his wife and his sons and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. So he has to make this decision to say yes to God. Reality number seven, Moses came to know God by experience as he obeyed God and God accomplished his work through Moses. Um, this is clearly true love, um, the idea of this, and coming to experience somebody, um, being able to accomplish somebody's work with them. This is, we're, we're created to complement one another. You know, men and women, that's what we're created to do, is we're created to mirror the image of God through union together. Um, and this idea here being that, like, what we get to do with God, what he's already doing. We, we get to participate in that. Um, and he's inviting us into it. Um, the, the scripture here, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through on the sea and dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go out after them. And I will gain glory through the Pharaoh and all his army. And basically it just goes on to talk about how, all of Israel is delivered, but that the the Egyptians are drowned. And so here then Moses gets to actually participate um, in this this idea of accomplishing God's work. Uh, it's not Moses who split the Red Sea. It was God who did that. But Moses got to be the tool who was used, the person, the mouthpiece, the vessel, to see that come to be. Just for kicks, I, I looked up how deep the Red Sea is at its deepest place. It's 7,254 feet. That's 1.37 miles. Right? Some scholars, yeah, would, would say that, that they actually went through on a, um, it could be shallow or it could be a, even a narrow part. If you look at the Red Sea up in the northern part, it does narrow quite a bit, at least today, you know, uh, what it looked like several thousand years ago, it could have been more flooded. It could have even been deeper than this. We don't know. Um, regardless, it still is a miracle that an entire body of water split in two, uh, and that people, millions of people were able to walk through it. Um, but I just, you know, I got to wonder what if God chose to, to split the sea at that point? That's, yeah, that's why I was saying the millions of people. Yeah. Two and a half, probably to three, because there was six hundred, about six hundred thousand men or so. They took a census. Or sorry, no, that was for the Jordan. Um, but yeah, they, they're having calculations about how many that would be. Um, to modal, yeah, to mobilize that many people, yeah, or or it could have even been longer. But yeah, pretty pretty incredible, nonetheless. It <laughs> takes a long time. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and it's also the the densest body of water in the earth because of all the salt in it. Um, so even that's kind of cool to me. Like th- we're talk we're not talking about like we're talking about heavy water here. Uh, it's very dense, and so to split the heaviest water in the world is also just kind of cool. We're gonna say something. <laughs> Moses Moses' objections to God um one thing that Blackaby notes here is it's really Moses doubting God more than himself and there's so much truth to that. When God calls us into things we're like, seriously God me and he's like, What well, you don't think I can use you? Who is it that you don't trust your own abilities or is it really that you don't think that I can do it be through you? You know, and so just drawing that out to you when God calls us to things to take note of that. Um, when we're, when we're tempted to say, ah, I can't do this, God. Um, <laughs> he's like, well, it's not about you anyway. So do you believe that I can do it? Because if you do, then let's go. Cause we have work to do. Yeah. Yep. So next page under what can one ordinary person do? A wonderful uh, scripture that has helped me at this point is Elijah was just a man like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Even Elijah, this guy that we were just talking about who, you know, calls down fire from heaven um, and is seen as a hero, a, a, a prophet, a hero prophet, uh, for Israel. Even he is just an ordinary man, James points that out. Um, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Dwight L. Moody, um, in a nutshell, he uh, he was an unschooled ordinary man as well. And um, he ends up saying yes to God and God uses him as an evangelist to do incredible, incredible things. You've probably heard his name uh, mentioned in church before. But he gets to do um, he gets to do incredible things. He didn't have the education for it. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't train for months and months and years at a church. He just said yes to God, made himself available, and the Lord um, the Lord used him. And Isaiah six eight, when Isaiah ha- is having this this vision of the temple, um, and he's you know so this is where the point where he says, "Woe is me! I'm a man of unclean lips, and his lips are purified because he's looking upon this uh, this vision of God." Um, and then God says who will I send? Um, He doesn't ask Isaiah directly, hey, will you go for me? God says, who will I send? And Isaiah is like, ooh, pick me. I will go. And he says, here I am, send me. Um, And so we do have this ability to, this option to say yes to the Lord and to say, God, send me. On the last page here, uh, page 28, right above number three, if you feel weak, limited, or ordinary, you are the best material through which God works. Some of the most impressive art is art that's made from trash. It's incredible to watch or to to look at something and be like, I can't believe that the artist took that and made that. That's amazing. Or if you um, are are cruising around Facebook and you see people post those pictures of six-year-olds who can play the snot out of a drum set or out of a guitar or something like that, those are some of the most impressive musicians out there because they're so young and to have the skill set that they have at their age is just like it's mind-blowing it's incredibly impressive 
and isn't that funny how like God God likes to do that? He likes to take the the weak things uh, and to shame the wise with them, the the things that are of seeming little value, whether it's trash and making a masterpiece out of it, or taking young kids who would seem unschooled and having them be these prodigies who can play better than most um, most of the world. This is some of the most impressive things that that we get to be a part of in this world, but God loves to do that with us as well, to take the most unlikely and then to use us. So the summary statements for this section, God reveals what he is about to do. The revelation becomes an invitation to join him. I can't stay where I am and go with God. God is able to do anything he pleases with one ordinary person who is fully consecrated to him, and God's standard of excellence is different than ours. Flip over to page 30, unit 2. The verse here is Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. There's this really cool story that he talks about here on page 31 about college campus Bible studies. They wanted to start up college ministries, and they couldn't get started for about two years. And then one day, um, Blackaby said that he had these two scriptures come to him. So uh, Romans 3, 10 and 11, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. No one seeks God. And then John six forty four. no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And he says, I explained, according to these passages, people don't seek God on their own initiative. They won't ask about spiritual matters unless God is working in their lives. When you encounter someone who is seeking God or asking about spiritual matters, you are seeing God work. So he sends the students onto their college campuses and says, whatever's going on in your day, if somebody starts to ask you about Jesus, that part of your day is no longer happening. You're spending time with this person. And so, He says, on Wednesday, one of the young women reported a pastor, a girl who is in class with me for almost two years, came to me after class day. She said, I think you might be a Christian. I need to talk to you. I remembered what you said. Uh, I had a class at the time, but I skipped it. We went to the cafeteria to talk. She said, 11 of us girls have been studying the Bible and none of us are Christians. Do you know somebody who can lead us in a Bible study? So cool. Two years. They're trying to get a study started up. And then they pray for three days and they seek the Lord. And where, God, where are you already moving? And he brings somebody. They ended up starting up five, five different um, Bible studies on the campus just as a result of that. So again, this idea of, of being open to the Lord and to looking where and doing what he's already doing, joining with him there. Um, the focus of the Bible is God. The essence of sin is a shift from God-centeredness to self-centeredness. The essence of salvation is denying self instead of affirming self. We must deny ourselves and return to God-centeredness in our life. Then God has us where he places us, and he will accomplish his eternal purpose through us. Uh, a self-centered life looks like uh, a focused, it's focused on the self. It's proud of the self and self's accomplishments. It's self-confident. Um, not that that's bad in and of itself. It depends on the self and its abilities, affirms the self, seeks to be acceptable to the world and its ways, looks at circumstances from a human perspective, chooses selfish and ordinary living, but a God-centered life places confidence in God. depends on God and his ability and provision. It focuses on God and his activity. It's humble before God, denies the self, seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, seeks God's perspective in every circumstance, and chooses holy and godly living. Individualism, again, can tend to make the Bible about us instead of about God. Jump over to page 34. In the last paragraph before four, it says, let us use Noah as an example. What about his plans to serve God? They would not make sense, uh, much sense in light of coming destruction, would they? Noah was not calling God to help him accomplish what he was dreaming of doing for God. 
God never asks his people to dream up something to do for him. We do not sit down and dream about what God wants us to do um, and then have God call us in to accomplish or call God in to accomplish it. The pattern in scripture is that we submit ourselves to God, then we wait until God shows us what he is about to do, or we watch to see what God is already doing around us, and we join him there. So the summary statements for this section, to know and do God's will, I must deny self and return to a God-centered life. I must focus my life on God's purposes, not on my own plans. I must seek to see from God's perspective rather than from my own distorted human outlook. I must wait until God shows me what is what he is about to do through me, and I watch to see what God is doing around me and join him. Day two, page 35. The paragraph above following God's way. We do not realize that it is always best to do, um, sorry, why do we not always realize that it is best to do things God's way? We cause some of the wreck and ruin in our churches because we have a plan. We implement the plan and accomplish what um, only what we can do. We ask God to bless our plans, and then we promise to give him the glory when he does. Yet God is not glorified by making our plans succeed. He receives glory when his will is done in his way. Christ is the head of the church, uh, head of the body, the church. Um, in, in most cases, you don't go to your um, to your boss or something like that and um, and tell them how to run the company. <laughs> most of the time, you will get hired into a company to do a certain job, and then you fall in alignment with what's already going on in that company. Or you are following the vision of somebody else. And that makes sense to us. We don't operate in the physical realm with this kind of like, I'm going to kick butt and take names mentality that we sometimes do in the church where we're like, all right, I'm going to go storm the world for Jesus before consulting him first and asking him how he wants us to do that. And uh, there's something to that about just asking the Lord, what are you doing? Christ, how are you saving people? Who are you saving right now? Um, Who are you sending me to? And and I think that's an important element. I know I'm blazing through this, but I do want to cover as much as possible before we're done. Um, flip over to, to uh, 36 here. Under three, it says, God is not our servant to adjust his activities to our plans. We are his servants, and we adjust our lives to what he is um, about to do. If we do not submit, God will allow us to follow our own devices. I think about 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, where Paul is addressing this sexual immorality in the church, and he actually says, give them over to Satan. Um, and that's not so that they can, you know, be, be eternally punished in hell. It's so that they can be convicted of their sin and become aware of what they're doing and repent and then be restored to the body. So the idea of give them over to Satan is to give them over to their sin. And so there are times where God allows us to follow our own devices. He'll call us and say, look, I, I want you to do this with me. I'm inviting you to do it with me. But if you choose not to, then that's up to you, but you're going to miss out. Um, in, in Numbers 13, 31 through 33, the spies um, that are sent into the land to scout out the land before Israel crosses over the Jordan to take possession of the promised land, all of them come back and they say, like, the land is incredible, but we can't destroy or we can't defeat the, the people who are on the other side. They've got giants. And Caleb and Joshua are the only ones who say, no, we can do this. And because it's because they're looking through the situation, the circumstances from a heavenly perspective. And they're like, no, you don't get it. Our God is huge. Like, he just, he just split the Red Sea. Like, even if you weren't a part of that, your parents were. That's how he delivered them from Egypt. Um, God can deliver us from the hand of these giants who are in this land. Um, yeah, and, and consequently then that those people don't get to enter into the promised land. It's it's the next generation that gets to. Um, 
part of that is just the idea of trusting that the Lord has got it and that um, he's going to do it and that we just get to be a part of that. Let's jump over to the summary statements for this section. We'll get on to the next one. It says, do things God's way. God will accomplish more in six months through people yielded to him than we could do in 60 years without him. I am God's servant. I adjust my life to what he is about to do. And understanding what God is about to do, um, where I am is more important than telling God what I want to do for him. Esther 4.14, um, that's where we find this line of, if you do not do it, God will raise somebody else up who will. And this is uh, Mordecai talking to Esther about going to the king um, to plead Israel's case. Uh, so, so Esther is the queen, and um, the king is planning on destroying because of his evil henchman. I can't think of his name right now. What is it? Haman. Thank you. Um, he's planning on destroying and putting to death all the Jews. And so Mordecai, Esther's uncle, says, look, you've got to go and you've got to say something to the king. Um, and if you don't do it, though, then God's going to raise up somebody else who, who will. And the idea there is, look, God is calling you to do certain things, but if you don't do it, that doesn't foil his plan. Like he's going he's gonna to raise up somebody else. He's going to call somebody else. And what you miss out on then is the blessing and the intimacy with Christ. You could have gotten to do these things with him. You could have gotten to be a part of that. I think about how, <laughs> how Moses probably would have been kicking himself if he had said no to God and God had raised up somebody else to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. What an incredible, incredible journey to have gone on with the Lord. Terrifying, I'm sure, at times. But such an incredible experience to be able to, to be a part of with the Lord. And so when we say yes to God, we get to do all these incredible uh, miraculous things, which is great. So day three, God takes the initiative. Um, essentially what this is talking about here is that God comes after us. He, he seeks us out. He wants us to participate with him in these things. Um, when, when I was a kid, and I still do it every single year, I don't remember if I mentioned this before, but I saw my dad making fudge at Easter one time, and so I was like, hey, can I help you? And I was little. Like, I remember we had to get a chair or something for me to stand on so that I could stir the pot. Um, and after you put in all the ingredients to fudge, if you've ever made fudge before, um, that thing gets pretty hard to churn, even if you're an adult. And so I remember being a little kid, and he would be adding the chocolate chips, and then, you know, the marshmallow cream would be in there already. And I'd be going for maybe 30 seconds. I'm like, all right, Dad, you got to take over. Um, but this was something that he invited me into, and that, that you know, by just the initiation, like, I got to be a part of it. And then it created something really sweet that we do every single year still. Um, jump over to page 39. This is important to note, um, right above learning to walk with God, it says, circumstances do not always indicate a clear direction for God's leadership. Open and closed doors do not always indicate God's guidance. Check to see that prayer, the scriptures, and circumstances agree on the direction that you sense God is leading you. While things might be good things, they're not always God things. That's kind of that idea here. Um, that that unless you're praying really specifically like, God, I'm, I need this job. If you open up the doors, then I'm going to trust that that's you saying uh, that I'm supposed to take that. That's one thing. But if it's just like, well, this opportunity presented itself, maybe the, you know, maybe God's behind it. That doesn't necessarily mean that just because the stars seem to have aligned that that's actually what the Lord wants. Uh, or just because it's easier doesn't necessarily mean that it's what God wants. He might actually be wanting you to go through some degree of suffering to sanctify you in some capacity. We can talk more about that later if that causes you concern. Um, George Mueller is somebody that Phil has talked about a number of times. 
basically uh, he ends up opening up an orphanage that sees over a hundred thousand, hundred thousand children gives away like $8 million worth of stuff, um, Bibles and, and literature and had an incredible, incredible ministry, but died with $800 to his name. And, um, there's just this great degree of humility in his life of being willing to sacrifice everything and give himself up uh, in order to say yes to God, but to realize like I'm not doing this so that I can benefit from and I'm, I'm doing this so that I can bless other people and participate in what you're doing, Lord. And so it was, it was God initiating and calling him George Mueller into uh, this ministry that, that he said yes to and that then resulted in all these people being blessed. Um, I'd encourage you to read, on page 40 and then 41, what Mueller, what Mueller talks about there and in terms of his uh, ability to discern, but just the, the bullet points. He sincerely sought God's direction. He patiently waited on God until he had a word from him, and he looked to the Holy Spirit to teach him through the word. The following things led to mistakes for, for Mueller, lacking honesty of heart, lacking uprightness before God, and patience to wait for God, and preferring the counsel of men over the declarations of Scripture. So to focus on those top ones, he sincerely sought God's direction that looked like him saying, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to put away my desires as much as possible so that I can have a clear mind to actually hear from you, God, so that I can most fully embrace your desires for uh, and, and your will. And then waiting patiently, like he might have had an idea, Mueller might have had an idea, but literally would have sat on it until he felt like it was confirmed um, through God or through the word or uh, through circumstances. And so there's a lot of patience too that we see through some of the, the saints that have gone before us and they're discerning and just learning like what does it mean to discern. And to think about the effectiveness of his ministry, that's the incredible thing, to have seen so many kids come through the orphanage, to have given away so many dollars worth of Bibles and, and Christian literature. Um, it's clear that he was hearing from the Lord, I would say. He wasn't choosing to do things out of his own volition or his own desires, but he was really trying to seek the Lord's will. So summary statements, God's revelation of his activity is an invitation for you to join him. I seek at the beginning to get my heart into a, such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. I do not leave the result to feeling or simple impression. I seek the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word of God. Jump on over to page 42. Hebrews 1, 1, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Um, that's not to say, mind you, that there aren't still prophets today, because while this was written, this book of Hebrews, um, it was probably written around the same time that a book like 1 Corinthians would have been written, or Ephesians or Romans, and then there we find spiritual gifts. Among those are listed the gift of prophecy. And so it's not to say that prophets don't exist still today, um, but later on he he notes that we need to be really careful about just running around telling people that we have a word from the Lord. So I'll try to jump to that before we close for tonight. <clears throat> um, John fourteen twenty six. the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. John sixteen thirteen through 14. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. John eight forty seven. he who belongs to God hears what God says. What he's trying to get at here, what Blackaby is trying to get at, um, and we agree, of course, is that God speaks to his people. That uh, there, there are certain people, there's certain denominations that say that personal individual revelation does is invalid, that it doesn't really exist, that the Lord doesn't speak to people in that way. Um, but he does. And so I'm, I would not be surprised if everybody in this room has had an experience of that. Um, 
And if you haven't, then it'd be an honor to to begin to look at your life with you and to see the ways that God actually is doing that um, and that you might not be aware of currently. So um, jumping over to page 43, what Blackbee says is if you have trouble hearing God speak, you are in trouble at the heart of your Christian experience. I would say actually now you have something to talk to God about. Um, and by the way, the fact that he made you aware of that is the fact that you're hearing his voice. Um, and so there's God's grace is in us. I mean, even to be convicted about something is like, oh, I do hear from God. That was a personal conviction for me. I shouldn't do that because it's not healthy for my relationship with the Lord. Or I feel like this is the ministry God is calling me into. Cool. Well, God is now speaking to you. He's giving you some sort of individual revelation. So hearing's God, hearing God's voice, sin has so affected us that you and I cannot understand God's truth unless the Holy Spirit reveals it. He is the teacher. So thinking back to 1 Corinthians 2, where it talks about spiritual matters are discerned through the Holy Spirit, that same truth applies here. God always speaks through the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. In John 10, 2 through 4 um, and 14, Jesus said, the man who enters by the gate um, is the shepherd of his sheep. The sheep listen to his voice. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. And he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my people. My sheep know me. Knowing God's voice comes from an intimate love relationship with God. Even when you're thinking about like a phone call, receiving a phone call from a friend. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I called up Drew and he was with some of the students and one of the students answered and I was like, hey, you're not Drew. Um, and I, I know Drew's voice well enough on the phone that when it's, it's his voice, I know. And when it's not his voice, I know. And not to oversimplify things, but the same is honestly true in our relationship with the Lord. The, the more intimate we are with someone, the closer we are with someone, the more we know and understand the sound of their voice, even when it seems distorted across the airways of a cell phone. Um, man, there's so much stuff. Okay, um, right across from summary statements on page 44, it says, you also need to be careful about claiming you have a word from God. Claiming to have a word from God is a serious matter. If God has spoken to you, you must continue responding to that word until it comes to pass, even 25 years like Abram. So Abram waits for 25 years until his son comes. If you have not been given a word from God, but uh, but you say you have, you stand in judgment as a false prophet. You may say to yourself, how can we know when a message of, has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message that the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Um, in Deuteronomy eighteen twenty one through 22. In the Old Testament, the penalty for being a false prophet was death. That certainly is a serious charge. So do not take a word from God lightly. Now, I've been blessed by a number of people who have had prophetic words for me, and they've proven true. And John is one of those people. He's been a huge blessing in my life. Um, and what's beautiful about the relationship that we have is he'll oftentimes receive a word about something I'm going to go through, the next season I'm going to go through. And for whatever reason, God chooses to reveal that, and then it's like he chooses to conceal it until the end of that season where I get to look back on it, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that, but that's exactly what I've been experiencing and I kid you not, I will use the very words that he has spoken to me that, hey, this is what you're going to be going into. I'll be using that conversationally with people 
and I won't even be thinking about the word that he had given me months beforehand. And then it'll click through something. Either he'll remind me of it or, um, or the Lord will remind me of it. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, God, you have been doing this the entire time. And what a blessing for me and John to get to participate in together. Like, you know, God speaks to John and, and then John gets to share something with me that blesses me. And then we get to have this really cool God connection together, which is great. Maybe we can talk later um, just because we're going to, I want to get through this so we can get to the worship part. Sorry. Um, uh, point, so point number six here, considering praying this prayer, God, I pray that I will grow in my relationship with you and that when you speak, I will immediately hear and respond. Um, engage the heart in a prayer like that. What I mean by that is uh, what, why, is just exploring the, the, the question of why do I want to hear from you um, and really allowing the heart to be explored as you pray things like this, as you go through the book. Summary statements, God has not changed. He still speaks to his people. If I have trouble hearing God speak, I'm in trouble at the very heart of my Christian experience. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. And knowing God's voice comes from an intimate love relationship with him. So we don't want to downplay um, the personal encounters that you're having with God and the personal direction that you're receiving from the Lord in terms of this book, because uh, this book so far is about his general will about like he's calling you. to respond. There's also things that he's going to be doing individually within you that are important to take note of. And so we don't want that to be lost in the midst of all this, but, um, but when we go to God, we typically want some sort of a devotional word from him. And, uh, and that's not always what he's going to be sharing. So just be mindful of that in the midst of all that. All right, let's just jump to um, the summary statements of the next or the last section here. The moment God speaks to me is the moment God wants me to respond to him. So when God speaks, um, that's when he's asking you to respond. It's not that he says something and then he's like, all right, now I'm going to give you some time to think about it. God God asks of us immediate obedience. Um, just like you as parents, if you are parents, when you would give your children some sort of direction or command or whatever, like clean your room or take the trash out. You didn't want to hear, no mom, no dad, I'll do it later. Uh, You probably expected immediate obedience unless that was part of the direction of, you don't have to do it right now, but I need you to do this. And so um, God wants us to immediately respond to him with a yes. But that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, whatever God is taking you through or calling you into is going to happen immediately. Again, you got to think about 25 years, Abram waiting 25 years for for Isaac to be born. Um, That's a long time, but God was true to his promise nonetheless. The moment that God speaks to me is God's timing, meaning when he speaks, he wants me to respond. God develops my character to match the assignment he has for me. So you might get a lot of little assignments. You might get a lot of like, hey, I want you to go to that homeless feeding and I want you to go do this thing. And, you know, there might just seem like these little like these little particles and that you're not necessarily a part of a bigger picture. You can trust that you are for, for one. But second off, God might be preparing you or developing your character as he calls you into obedience to do certain tasks that's really part of preparing you for a quote-unquote larger thing where there's going to be more responsibility. We see that in the, the parable of the talents where Jesus tells his disciples, if you can be trusted with the little things, you can be trusted with the big things. And so part of that is what God is doing in developing us. 
God has a right to interrupt my life. He is Lord. When I accepted him as Lord, I gave him the right to help himself into my life anytime he wants. And we'll close with that idea in mind that we should not forget that when we said yes to Jesus, we became we became a slave to righteousness. And uh, part of that looks like being freed, which is ironic. And being a slave to righteousness, we are freed unto um, serving the Lord. And we're also freed unto allowing him to transform our spirit and to call us into whatever he'd have for us. You guys have been incredible. Um, thanks for sticking through this all. I know it's a lot of material. Um, week after week is going to be like this. I want to give you a little bit of direction now for this time. Like I said, and, and because of all the material and starting late and stuff, um, we don't have as much time to do worship and whatnot, but we're going to invite you now into uh, about 20 minutes of sitting with the Lord to begin to um, meditate on these things, to work through these things. There might be part of this lesson tonight that really stands out to you, that you might sense the Lord is is uh, speaking to you very loudly about and that he wants you to sit in. So I'm going to encourage you to do that. If there's not something quite yet, then I just want you to take moment, uh, a few moments while Drew begins to play and sing to ask the Lord, what is it that you would have for me? What What do you want to bring up in my heart tonight? What are you trying to reveal to me? Um, and then to begin to dialogue with God about whatever that is. And so that'll look like... Um, just kind of letting a, a flow of consciousness come to your mind of, wow, God, I really sense that you're, you're speaking to me about intimacy. Um, what is it about intimacy that you want to deepen? What does it look like for me to be intimate with Christ? How can I open to you, Holy Spirit, right now and to the transformation that you would have for me? Just beginning to explore some of those things with the Lord as the worship is happening. And you might find yourself desiring to actually sing and to engage in the song, and that's good. That's fine. The time is to really just open your heart to the Lord in prayer and to see what he would want to develop in you and to deepen in you. Um, and you might also find yourself getting frustrated or annoyed or hitting a wall or you run out of things to say, and that's okay. Take note of that. When you, when you hit these walls, when you run out of things to say, when you're like, all right, well, that was a five-minute conversation and I think we've said enough, God, um, I'm going to encourage you to press in. Press into that awkwardness, into the tension that you might be feeling. And as you, as you press in deeper, what I would venture to, to guess is that you're going to have a breakthrough. Um, but part of what you might be talking to him about during that time of, oh, this is weird, God, I, there's this tension, I don't know um, what to say now. Part of pressing into that might be talking to him about the tension. It might be a matter of, of saying, um, Lord, what makes me uncomfortable about this? Um, what is it about talking to you that that is uh, uncomfortable? Would you show me that, Lord? So let's sing. <laughs>